0: It is lovely uh, to be with you, I say that every time. Um, uh, where you've uh, invested your life and your heart uh, is home, isn't it? And we might move from home to home, but there are many homes really, and uh, this is uh, one of my homes, so it's always a joy to be with you. One of the things that sort of troubles me a little bit <clears throat> as a preacher of the gospel, as a teacher of God's word, is that many Christians don't live in the freedom that was made available to them through Christ. Saved, yes, but they haven't fully understood what this salvation really is and the the freedom that Christ Mm -hmm. produced for them in their lives. The scripture tells us over and over again that Christ came to bring freedom to us my key verse this morning, I've taken from 2 Corinthians uh, 3.17. Now you say, what makes this key? Usually for me is uh, if I'm reading or, or maybe waking up or something, God just gives me a verse. And then i think, in oh, this is good. I'll, I'll, I'll pursue this one. It makes life a little bit easier for me knowing what to speak about. And this verse came very strongly to me. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this. Now the Spirit, uh, sorry, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, if you're an authorized Bible reader, there is liberty. But if you're an NIV reader, there is freedom. It's the same thing. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom in our lives. Many other verses. I wonder how many there were. There's 20 to 30 that are, say the same thing as this. Uh, and it explains that what we're free of in, in lots of different ways. Uh, Luke 4 and 18 says this. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Which infers that at once we were prisoners. Prisoners to somebody or something. But he came proclaiming freedom... To us, it says in John 8 and 31 and 32, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So, simply by reading God's word and taking it on board and living according to it, we will experience freedom, liberty in Christ. In Galatians 5 and 1, it says this, It is for freedom. That Christ has set us free. He's like shouting that out, isn't he? Like it's a declaration. And just one more. There are, like I say, there are lots more. Uh, 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as free men and women. Live free. What is it then that has enslaved us that we need to be freed from? If you knock on the door of people down here and say, are you a prisoner or are you free? They'll say, oh, I'm free, mate. I can do anything I like. You know, I'm free. They think they're free. But obviously, Scripture says, before we came to him, we weren't free. We were slaves. We were imprisoned. We thought we had freedom, but that was the deception of the enemy. Really, we were bound. But Christ has come to set us free. What is it then that has enslaved us? What is it then that denies us this freedom that Christ is talking about here? It's the thing called sin. Just a little word, just three little letters. Sin. It's not sins. It's sin. The best way I can describe sin and what sin is... Is described for us in the scriptures in the early chapters of Genesis we see that Cain and Abel bring sacrifices to the Lord we see that Abel's sacrifice is acceptable to the Lord he brings a lamb and so the, the lamb is killed and the blood uh, speaks of, of death and, and, and all of these things and we know that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins so God accepts Abel's sacrifice in accepting his sacrifice he accepts Abel They have no reason to believe that Abel was any better or worse than Cain. He came with his sacrifice, it was the right one, it had blood, and so God accepted it. Cain, on the other hand, he does everything by his own strength and effort. What he grew, what he cared for, what he looked after. So he brings this to the Lord as a sacrifice, and almost he's saying, look how, how good I am, look how hard I've worked for this, look... And it says that God rejects his sacrifice. You see, to be forgiven and to come into relationship with God, it's only by his grace. There's nothing you can do to save yourself or make yourself acceptable to God. It's not possible. So he rejects his his offering, and in the rejection of his offering, he's rejecting Cain himself. Cain is angry, resentful. He even despises what God has done to him. God comes to him after that event. He says, Cain, why are you so angry? I can see it on your face. You're livid. He said, do you not know that if you stay like this and don't deal with this situation and come before me in the right way, sin is crouching at the door and it wants to enter in and possess, enter in and control, it wants to run your life. I think that's a tremendous illustration of sin. Sin is like a person, you see, or a spiritual personality that crouches at the door of your life and has broken into our lives and is controlling us. So I don't want you to think of sin, as I talk about this morning, as your sins, the things that you do wrong, because the sins that we do are the result of sin in us. It is like there is something wrong with us. It's as though we've got some sort of illness or disease. Think about it as sin. And so we have symptoms of this illness, and the symptoms... Are the sins that we commit. Jesus came to free us from sin, not not the sins that we commit. If he can free us from sin we won't commit the sins. He comes to free us from sin. Sin's enslaving effect on our lives. This, This sin one that once lived in us he dominated and controlled our lives and yet we didn't even know he was there. We thought it was us. But he manipulated and controlled us. The, the, the scripture in the, in the author, he said, he desires to have you. Desires to control your life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this freedom that Christ has come to give us it wasn't only to free us from something, this, this control of this sin thing in us, but to lead us into liberty and freedom. It's as, though, it's as though you were sitting in a prison and all of a sudden the doors were opened, but you didn't get up. You just kept sitting there. You didn't step out into freedom. It was like, what was the point of opening the doors if you're going to still sit there? Sometimes I think Christians are a bit like this. The prison door has been opened, but when I look at their faces and listen to the the things they're saying, they're still in the prison. We need to come out of the prison. We've We've been freed. Now come out and live in this freedom that Jesus is talking about. This is how Paul describes it in Romans 8 and 21. He, taught, he calls it the glorious, the glorious freedom of the children of God. Do you experience that? Yes? The glorious freedom. Or do you feel you're a prisoner sometimes? Still in prison, still locked up, still, still struggling as it were. No. The glorious freedom of the children of God how do we get into this mess in the Old Testament we read uh, about the people of God the people of God uh, for them to live with him in harmony and relationship God had to give them rules every relationship that you're in has rules, did you know that? I have a wonderful relationship with that dear woman sitting there on the bat line, but I tell you, we've got rules, okay? Now, they're not written down anywhere, but if I break one, she tells me. I don't always tell her when I think she breaks a rule, but there we go. Uh, But she tells me when I break a rule. And I understand that. It's boundaries, you see. There's boundaries. You can't take liberties in relationships. There are rules. To live with God, the people of God had to know the rules that god had established obviously and keep within those rules they had this thing remember called sin in them and god says listen i know what's in you and there is a propensity for you to 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 do your own thing but if we're to have a relationship you've got to keep these rules they weren't dictatorial and they weren't very demanding I find them that they were very reassuring and understandable. There were things like, we're to love one another. Well, that's quite straightforward, isn't it? We are to be faithful to one another. That's understandable. We accept that in every committed relationship love and faithfulness. He says, you're not to steal from me or anyone else, you're not to kill me or anyone else. You're not to tell lies to me or anyone else. You're not to cover things from other... Just ordinary, simple things. We call it the Ten Commandments. Nothing in that is too demanding. It's what you would expect in every human relationship. All reasonable expectations. If God is to live in harmony with us, and we are to live in harmony with one another... We have to have these rules. Why couldn't God's people keep the rules? You know, as I read through the Old Testament, I find it very depressing. I do, honestly. I mean, it's page after page after page where the people of God are just doing their own thing, rebelling against God all the time. And for about 400 years after he brought them... uh, into liberty out of egypt he sent prophet after prophet after prophet just saying stop this stop this turn turn and just do the things that god is asking you it can do it It couldn't do it. this thing inside them this thing called sin in them it couldn't do it it just could not manage to keep these very simple perfect rules There were two deep-seated problems, really, that had to be dealt with. As I said, one of them is called sin. And the sins that were in the people of God, they inherited from their father and his father and his father. The sins that you had before you came to Christ, you inherited that thing called sin. It came into you because you were born with it. It's original sin, we call it. You couldn't evade it. You had it. You didn't know you had it unless you met a Christian or you came to church and they told you you had it or you read something about it. You wouldn't know you had it, but you had this thing within you call sin. The other thing, this other deep-seated problem, was they found it impossible, even though they heard the word of God and read the word of God and the prophets would tell them, they found it impossible to obey, even when they tried to remember when the book of the covenant was read to them and they all said with one voice we will obey it (laughs) i have to chuckle to myself when i I read that so mm, you want to i see that but you won't be able to it was a deep problem you see sin was a deep deep problem but also this ability to obey was just as deep and serious in fact it was so deep (coughs) They could never find the motivation to obey God, let alone obey Him. They had no heart to do it. That's how they slipped away all the time from Him. You, You are not a sinner because you sin. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Understand? We sin because we're sinners. Sometimes you think, well, I'm a sinner, therefore I sin. No, 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 no. But see, when you came to Christ, he dealt with this sin issue. So you have no reason to sin anymore. If he deals with the deep-rooted problem of sin, then you haven't got an excuse. You don't have to sin anymore. This, this thing that was in you no longer drives you. When we read the New Testament, I'm glad to get out of the old one, because as I said, reading it is very depressing all the way from beginning to end. It's, I mean, it's wonderful to read about God and all the wonderful things God does and how gracious and kind and wonderful and merciful it is, but whenever you read about the people of God, it gets so depressing. So we come into the New Testament... It's called the New Testament for a reason. It's really the New Covenant. In the Old Testament, we read about four different covenants. In the covenant, God knows exactly what he's doing. He's he's taking man from his his fallen state of being in sin. And he's going to work through over 4,000 years. God, God doesn't rush. Have you noticed this? You pray... Expect an answer tomorrow, and sometimes it doesn't come for a few years. Okay, it's just in the nature of God to be like that. I have warned you, don't get frustrated or impatient. Just work through life gradually and patiently, having prayed and believed that God has heard and he loves you. Look for the working out of the purposes of God within your life. So after 4,000 years of trying to put this thing together... Bit like your puzzle, Linda. Put it together, okay? The world is in bits, and God is putting it together like a a puzzle. It takes 400 years, uh, sorry, 4,000 years. Then we step into the New Testament. It's here God is going to deal through the new covenant with these two deep-seated problems, sin and our disobedience. Our inability to obey, our inability to even find the motivation to obey. let's first look how he deals with sin. this big one. Why was sin a problem? Surely God could have just ignored it, just just turned his back on it, just I don't know, so pretend it never happened, or we do that sometimes, don't we? Someone does something and we go,. Oh, just ignore it I'll pretend it doesn't happen Um, uh, I'll just turn a blind eye to it God can't do that God cannot ignore sin and God can never be pacified to ignore sin never God is holy God is pure God is perfectly righteous So if we are to have this relationship with God, and God desperately wants this relationship with us, that's what the whole of the Bible is all about. God trying to build this relationship back up again. To have an intimate relationship, because the only relationship that God knows with us is an intimate one. You're not his friend. Let's get this right. This relationship with God is the highest relationship that anyone can have in this world. It's called a covenant relationship. He was prepared to lay his life down for you. Therefore he expects you to lay your life down for him. That's higher than a family relationship. Or a blood relationship. Or a deep friend relationship. It's a covenant one. And that God is putting. Is all into this. If we're to have This. This. Deep intimate relationship with him, he has to remove the power of sin that dominates your life. He has to remove it. He can't have a relationship with you otherwise. If he doesn't, this power of sin within us will just make it impossible to have a relationship. It will keep causing us to sin again and again and again. How do you remove then the power of sin in your life? That which compels you to do wrong. How how does God plan to remove it? He can only remove it one way He has to judge sin and punish it. Once it's judged and punished, it's free you're free from it. We know this in the natural. If someone commits a crime, he comes before the judge and he's judged. He's punished according to the judge. And the day he walks out of prison or pays the fine or whatever is necessary, he is free, isn't he? He is free from the thing that had power over him. If it's not judged and punished, All the time he's living his life like this, looking behind him to see if someone's going to bring it up or is after him. He cannot live in freedom. So he is like enslaved by the thing that he did. But once he's paid his price to society, we call it, he's a free man. No one can tap him on the shoulder and say, oh, I know what you did. He said, listen, I've paid the price for that. That sin no longer has power over me. The power of sin is removed when it is judged and punished. When sin has been punished, the guilt and the stain of sin is removed from our lives, just like it is the criminal. It's removed from his life. The removal of that guilt results in freedom. Just as the prisoner, when he's served his term, is free spiritually in Christ. When sin has been judged and punished, the guilt is removed from our lives and we're free. The punishment for sin, do you know what it is? Yes, you do. It's death separation from God well that's a bit tough isn't it because the word of God says we're all sinners we've all sinned therefore we're all subject to this penalty of death separation from God and because all men have sinned then all men will die and the very thing that God wants is not that we all die but we all have a relationship with him so he has to do something there has to be a remedy For the problem, God needs to remedy this problem a very special person. Somebody who did not have sin in him and was prepared to let everybody else or everybody else's sin come onto him. And he needed to be prepared to be punished for that sin. Okay. The first thing about this person is that he had to be a person. For God to deal with the sin problem, he needed a man. He couldn't do it any other way. It was through a man that sin entered in to his creation. It would be through a man that sin would have to be dealt with in creation. It had to be a man who agreed with God that what he was doing was just and fair. And he had to be willing to come and receive what God was going to do to him through love. Christ went to the cross because he loved us. It had to be done in love, you see. It had to be a person who had never sinned. If it was a person who had sinned, then the wages of his life would be death and that wouldn't work. It had to be a person who was willing to die as a substitute for everyone else in the world. As someone who had never sinned, he said, I will come and be the substitute for all who have sinned, and we all have. Of course, there was only one person, wasn't there, that could do that. And we all know him really well. We've been singing about him all morning, reading about him, praying about him. Of course, his name is Jesus. Isn't that a lovely name? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you see? And you know why it's so lovely? Because he is the one who has set you free. That's why it's lovely. No one else in the world could do that. But God's only son volunteered, as it were, to come from heaven to take on, it says, the very nature of a servant. That means to serve you, to give himself to you, to put himself in a lowly position that he might lift you up or serve you or do things for you. He had to come as a servant and to hold for his life as a substitute for sinful humanity. To be your substitute, my substitute. Because those that haven't received Christ as their substitute, they will have to die for their sin and be separated from their God forever. This he did. All of our sins, the sins of each one of us, was put on Jesus Christ God's judgment then, as Jesus bore the sin of the whole world upon him, as though he had committed every sin, God judged all of the sins of mankind once and punished that man for sin. Yours yours was on him. It was on him as he hung on the cross your sin was placed upon him you didn't even know about it you hadn't even been born yet you hadn't come and done all the sins that you were going to do yet yet in advance of you even coming thousands of years ago Jesus hung on a cross he took upon himself the the, the sin and God judged the sin and punished him how? by killing him and separating him as it were from himself remember he cried on the cross my god my god why are you doing this why have you forsaken me he was just expressing the agony as a human being you understand it was a man who died on the cross just a man it was a man who was in the garden who was saying, Lord, is there another way? He knew there was no other way, but it shows us it was a man who was prepared to do that. Take the sin of the whole world upon himself and take the punishment of God upon himself and die in that place. When he died, the blood of Jesus, it says, destroyed the power of sin in every individual in the world. Wow! We sing about the power of the blood. See what the blood did. The blood had the power to destroy the power of sin in every person that was ever born and would ever be born. Billions of us. The power of the blood of Jesus destroyed the power of sin the guilt of sin that was in the hearts of people you know when you've done something wrong don't you god god reminds you it's a thing called guilt we feel awful when we've done it the blood of jesus removed from us the guilt of sin the stain of sin that was on our heart we call our a uh, consciousness of, of the sins that we do The blood of Jesus washed the stain of sin away from us. All those who by faith receive Jesus as their substitute, God removes sin and its power over their lives, and he declares us, as soon as we put our faith in what Christ has done, he says, "I, I declare you to be righteous in my sight. A righteousness that you will never, ever lose. Your righteousness, given to you by God, is a gift of God because you put faith in Jesus Christ. You didn't do anything, anything except receive. Receive the gift of God's grace. Why did he come to you and not your neighbour? Have you worked this one out yet? Of all the millions of people in Britain that aren't saved, how come he came to you? How come he came and offered his salvation to you? You didn't deserve it. You were as wicked as me and all the rest of the people in here. God, in his grace and mercy, did this. He declared us righteousness or righteous. He said we were justified. You know what that means. It was just as if we had never, ever, ever sinned. And God will always look at you as a person who is justified. Just as if you'd never sinned. So if you die tonight, and I hope really you don't, and you would come before the Lord, okay, don't rabbit on about your sins. But okay, just don't go on about them. Don't even mention them. Because as far as God is concerned... You are righteous in His sight. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't this a good gospel? I tell you, you see, we need to hear this again and again. Because what the devil does, he creeps round the back of us and he puts us into prison again if we're not careful oh we think you know what a terrible person I am oh if only I was a better Christian Uh, 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 uh. shut up shut up realise who you are in Christ, realise what he's done, realise he's set you free realise he's opened the prison doors and you walk in liberty and freedom Christ has set us free, you shall know the truth And the truth will set you free. Don't be dopey over the gospel. Be sensible. Realise it. Understand it. Living it. Believe it. Share it. It is the most powerful message in the world. And for some reason, God revealed it to you. As he did to me. So sin's problem is dealt with. He dealt with it. God dealt with it. We could do nothing. God dealt with it through Jesus on the cross. Now we've got the second problem. The second problem is this thing of disobedience. See, he's made you righteous in his sight, but we can still be disobedient, can't we? We don't have to obey him, because it wouldn't be love if we had to. So we have that freedom to obey or not obey. God then had to do something with our disobedience. To do something that we wouldn't only obey him, but we would want to obey him. When we read this, we would go, I don't only want to do this, I really, really want to do this. I'm not doing this because this is what God wants me to do. I really want to do what God wants me to do. Through Jesus' death, God solved the problem of man's guilt, the stain of sin and the power of sin. But listen, it was through his life that he made it possible for us to be obedient. You say, well, how does that work Phil?" Listen to this verse in Romans 5 and 10. For if we, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of, of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? How does his life save us? I I get what you're teaching me, Phil. I get how his death saved us. Somebody had to come and stand in my place and and take the punishment and then if I believe in him, then he takes the punishment and I'm free. How does him living save me? When Jesus came, he came as a man, remember? And it, he laid aside the, the divine bit, so he lived as a man. He was tempted, like all men and women are tempted, tempted to sin. But he never sinned, did he? Ever once. Through his life, he lived an obedient life for God. It says he learnt obedience through the things that he suffered. Every day he was tempted to sin, to do wrong things, just like you and just like me. But he chose never to do that. Jesus lived as a human being the perfect life, keeping every law of God. (laughs) You're thinking, how could he remember them all? He didn't have to, and nor do we. God's made it really simple. We only have to remember one law. What is it? (laughs) To walk in love. And God said, I'll make this really simple because I know how hard you find life. He made it really simple. So all Jesus had to do was walk in love day after day after day. It could be said that the law of God was written on the hearts of Jesus. It was written on his heart when we receive Jesus as our saviour through faith and the sin problem is dealt with something else happens to us, his nature comes into our heart into our life it wasn't just because you signed a bit of paper and you believed certain things that you were saved, no no in faith as you receive Christ, his nature entered into us His heart, his heart entered into our heart. His heart became our heart and so if the laws of God were written on his heart, they're written on your heart as well. We now have the law of God written on our hearts. It's there. It it came through Christ. The word of God puts it another way. It says my my life is hidden Christ. He didn't only die for me, he lived for me as well. The life he lived, he lived for me. The righteous life he lived, he lived for me. In Jeremiah, we get a promise of this New Testament, new covenant that God was going to bring about. He says, This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. The house of Israel is all of us, we are the house of Israel. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, or a bit later on, he says, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. The law of God, you see, that you found it so difficult to obey is actually in your heart and in your mind. When that law came in, the pollution of sin in the human heart was dealt with. It was washed away. Sin is cleansed from the human heart. And the hostile values that you used to live by, you don't live by them anymore. You go, what are these hostile values that I had? Mm. Read Galatians 5. It tells you what they were. They were the values that you lived by. Your fallen nature caused you to live by them. It says in Galatians 5 and 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. You had an old value system that was selfish, pleasure-seeking, materialistic, all for you. That was your value system. Gimme, gimme, gimme. But when we come to Christ, he gives us a new value system. He's implanted his heart within us. So the new value system is this. You know it. It's Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, remember what it is, the things that govern your life, Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. It might be good every day to get up and say those things before you start on the day. My day is going to be full of love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, Goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. That are the new value systems in your heart. Salvation, you see, it set us on a new road, didn't it? A road of discipleship and holy living. Living by a new set of values and also living with Christ's heart that's how he set you free that's how he set you free of course if you choose not to live by these values or not to choose to live by the the law of God which is to love then you'll find yourself sitting in the prison and I'm glad hope you're miserable I hope your lives are really really miserable hope it sucks I hope they don't give you any food and it's cold and miserable and they don't let you get any sleep. I hope it's horrible because I want you to wake up and I want you to come out of the prison and I want you to walk in the liberty that Christ has won for you. It's what wonderful salvation. It's so good. One last thing. When Jesus walked amongst us on this earth, he was free. And he was spontaneous. He did whatever he liked. Isn't that freedom? (laughs) Freedom is to do whatever I like. That's what Christ was like. You know, Christ didn't have to pray all the time to ask his father what he had to do. He knew. Of course he knew. Because he lived by the, the values of God... And the law of God was written on his heart and the law of God is in you and you have this new value system so you don't have to keep praying all the time. You just know what God wants just like Jesus knew what he wanted all the time. No, I'm not saying don't pray. Of course, you intercede for other people but you know what to do in your life if you've grown in this. The values that guided the very life of Jesus To keep him in perfect harmony with his father was the one law of unselfish love. That's it. Wasn't that our Bible reading this morning? Isn't that interesting? Uh, 1 John 4. Love, 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 love. And if you don't love, well, you've nothing to do with me. Love, love, love is saying love, 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 love all the time I like this about Jesus what it says in, in John 8 and 29 the one who sent me this is Jesus speaking he's with me see God is with us, he's in us the, the one who sent me is with me he has not left me alone of course God will never leave us for I always do what pleases him isn't that wonderful through the cross God made it possible for us to live like Jesus. Listen, don't ever lower the standard. Don't ever say, oh, that was Jesus and I'm just me. Don't ever do that. Because you'll lower the standard of your living to what you can accomplish. Jesus is our standard for living. Jesus did things that always pleased the Father and so will we our desires, our thoughts, our choices are the same as the Father's and we live with that same spontaneous freedom I love to be spontaneous I love to walk in freedom and liberty I've left the prison cell I'm not going back I'm just going to walk in obedience with him. You shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? Amen. Did that bless you? If that didn't bless you, nothing will bless you. I'll tell you that. Okay. God bless you all. Amen.